Hi, and welcome to the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast. I'm just jumping on the forefront here just to say that this episode um, in particular had quite a few sound issues, but being that we recorded it in Maryland and we are no longer with the people that we were with last week, um, we cannot re-record this episode. So we thought we'd use it anyway. Um, it's between Daryl, Kyle, and Joey, um, good friends. And they're talking a lot of good theology. So we didn't want to toss this one out. But I just wanted to jump on and say that if you can look past the sound issues, that I'm sure you can still enjoy the great theology that these guys are chatting about. All right. So without further ado, enjoy this episode of What Are We Even Doing Here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks the answer to the question of what are we even doing here from a biblical perspective. This is in our own personal lives and the world in general. My name's Daryl, and I'm joined with my wife, Karen. Wait, wait, she's no, not here. She's wait, not, not here, here. She's actually. not here today. Karen is not here. Well, she's here. She's just not in this room right now. But uh, we wanted to do a, a special podcast to include some of our... Uh, Longtime friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, just uh, have a dialogue here about some theological things. And I'm going to introduce them right now. We have Kyle. Hello. And Joey. What's up, man? How are you guys today? Good. Doing yeah, good. You having a good day? It's been a great day. It's been it a great day. day. Lots of coffee today. So that's awesome. Yeah. Coffee makes the day uh, even greater. Just got back to church. Yeah. And I killed a lunch actually, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty content right now. Lunch was good. We had some lunch yeah. meat, and I think what That's makes a good sandwich is mayo. I'm a fan of mayo. Oh, absolutely. Like I just like mayo. It's... I can eat bread with mayo and be totally fine. Mm-hmm. Happy. That's a little weird, but yeah, yeah. it's my Chilean ways, bro. Yeah. Hmm. But no, mayo makes a sandwich. Yeah. A true sandwich has mayonnaise on it. There's no doubt about it. It's also good on a hamburger. Like that combination, I like Wendy's when you get the Junior Bacon Cheeseburger because it has the tomato and the lettuce. It's like a BLT and it's refreshing in summertime, I think, because that tomato makes it too. The tomato mm. and mayonnaise combination. Yeah. Oh, it's like heaven on earth. Mayonnaise. Not really, but it is. So, how do we know each other, guys? It feels like forever. It hasn't really, in actuality, of our lifetimes been that long. No. Probably about. I'd say I've known you guys since I've been saved probably six years. Yeah. Uh, 2012, I think, is when we met. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's six years ago. And ironically, you were a teacher at my high school mm-hmm. when I was a senior. Not that we're that far apart, but I didn't know you at that time. And then I ended up meeting you at one of our um, uh, worship um, services or practice. I can't remember. I think it might have been practice. Practice, yeah, yeah. I think it was because I saw you drumming. Uh-huh. And honestly, like we just kind of hit it off. Yeah. After that, it was mm-hmm. we both theologically were interested in similar things. Yeah. And then we met up for breakfast, and kind of the rest was history. After that, golden dawn, right? Yeah. 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 It's pretty awesome. And it probably met you the same way, Joey, and. Uh... Yeah, we were both drummers in uh, the worship band at Two Seventeen Church. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't play together because we were both drummers. But um, that's where we met. Hung out. And also, Kyle, I met you there too. Yeah, yeah, I met bass. you. And uh, we were jamming out a lot. And 
met you at the because um, you had the, your really long hair at that time. Uh, that's super yeah. long. And I recognized you, but I did not know who you were. And then I met you, and that was cool, because I was like, oh, man, this guy's you know, solid. It was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so this was kind of a, uh, a friendship that blossomed over years. And now here we are for our almost fourth year of kind of having friends over from Jersey. This is a tradition, longstanding. Awesome. Yeah. And I hope we, uh, we keep it going. Yeah. So would you guys say that uh, that it was within God's sovereignty that we all met? Would you? Absolutely. <laughs> it was actually decreed before the foundation of the I think world. so. It was, it was eternal decree. In his decree, yeah. Kyle, Joey, and Daryl would meet at a, on a worship team at a church and keep us together for the, for this long. To yeah. to yeah. you know, even though we're separated by states yeah. and three different churches. We're still brothers in Christ, and I know that's not the, the topic we're going to discuss, that the body of Christ is wherever you find believers, but that's something I love about the church and love yeah. about the gospel itself, is that you can travel around the world and find brothers and sisters in Christ who, like, you would have never known otherwise, you know? It could be from a different culture, like I had a mission trip to Ecuador, and I think I was telling you guys before, they, they speak a different language than what I speak, mm -hmm. but we both speak Bible, and that's something that unifies the Church of Christ. So when you have brothers and sisters in Christ that might meet at, a, at one church, but then God moves them other places, you still are part of that, that family. That's an amazing thing. But yeah, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God today. And basically, a short definition is God has all authority over everything, and it is by His sovereign decree that all is done. That's right, His eternal decree. Yes. So, before the foundation of the world, God has, has written this down, what we're going to do, uh, what's going to come about by His will, ultimately for His glory. That's right, and even in the... Uh... Westminster Shorter Catechism, what? which us Presby's. It's that thing. It's really like, oh. It is short, too. Really it's got this asked. little, little yeah. booklet. It's actually my, my, it's in your head. my pocket Puritan. <laughs> pocket Puritan. You're using all these words, man, these fancy catechism, Puritan. People will be like, Puritans, those guys. Puritans. Didn't they burn people at the stake? Yeah, and scarlet you know letters and things like that. They're <laughs> heat. They're bad. Oh, but dude. no, they're not. you got to study the Puritans, people listening That's to this. That's true. But within read, this read catechism, on. within this teaching tool, which mm -hmm. is great for kids and adults alike, yes. uh, question seven, this may help. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Mm. Question seven of the catechism. Foreordained. So let's let's flesh that out a little bit for ordained so is that everything that comes to pass so you're saying so even when like evil happens god wanted that to happen would you say that it's a tough question it is yeah well i mean i'll say my initial thoughts um mm -hmm. we're uncomfortable with that question in our right culture, right yeah the, the idea that okay, there's evil, and I know God can't have a part in this mm -hmm. because the God of culture is just God's love. Right. And no other traits. Mm -hmm. 
But the God of the Bible says that he brings all things to pass. So, I mean, if the Lord ordained that his son would be crucified and killed, um, then why do we find it so hard that he could ordain other things to happen right. to bring about good? Mm -hmm. But we also have to differentiate that God is not the author of evil. Yes. God does not make people sin. Mm -hmm. um, what we see is God in his provision directing the steps of man to accomplish his will, but he does not make people sin. We do that on our own. Yes. So it's by our, our own evil hearts, our natural man's evil hearts, desires, uh, creaturely will, that we, we do things, we make choices, and God uses those choices that we naturally make to bring about his ultimate purpose for his ultimate glory. And like you said, you brought um, the crucifixion of Christ into that. And that was foreordained by him ultimately for salvation to occur. And that's in Acts 2. Uh, do you have, anybody have that verse right away? I was going to start somewhere else, but we can start there because you brought it up and I say, let's roll with that. Yeah, that's Acts 22? 5. Acts 5. Um, oh, Acts 5, not Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 5. If, well, if you're talking about what he predestined to take place, there's that. Right. Um, and then, yeah, that's probably in Acts 2 also. Yeah. Uh, so, if you're there, read it, my friend. Yeah. So, um... The preaching in the Acts of the Apostles, mm -hmm. and again, the idea of human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. Um, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Awesome. So we see uh, God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So it was God's definite plan, his foreknowledge, that he was delivered up, but you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So we have it right there. God's sovereignty in decreeing this, his foreknowledge, he delivered as a definite as his definite plan, but you, man, killed by the hands of lawless men. So man's responsibility in that, in that one verse right there is brought to bear with God's sovereignty in decreeing it. Absolutely. God did not make these men do this. He used their fallen will to bring about his plan. So it's that compatibilism. Yeah. But, but it's also interesting, yeah, that's true. It's also interesting that it, it had to come to pass. It, it, it wasn't, there wasn't right. a chance it would not. Yes. Anyway, we get hung up on this, but we can't fully understand that. Mm -hmm. um, no one can fully reconcile the sovereignty of God responsibility of man. Right. But we don't go beyond what the scriptures Wait, teach. Are we, is that we're, this podcast is going to fully reconcile that, right? No. Yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> obviously going to reconcile it today. We will, because we're, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> End of discussion. All right, uh, yeah, it's, 
And that's it. something I love about the Bible, love about God, is we can't fully know, yet we keep searching. Right? And even when things rub against what we, what we want to reject, it doesn't make it false. Right? So it's, it's hard to understand these things, but it doesn't mean it's beyond comprehension. But that should bring us to worship God even more when we see these things and like, God, I want to understand this. Help me understand this. Instead of like rejecting it and being, it can't be this way, it has to be this way. But it's there, it's in the text. And I'll go to the verse that I was thinking that many go to when we talk about God's sovereignty and man's will. Uh, and that's in Genesis, the last chapter of Genesis. Hopefully I can find it. I hope you hear these pages turning. I'm um, reading from my elect standard I mean, uh, sorry, English Standard Version Study Bible. Kyle has a, a like Estima? standard. Yeah, S- I have an S- S- too. Study Bible. What are you reading, Joe? I also have an S- Yeah, English Standard Version. Oh, you got the Johnny Mac. Johnny Mac. The John yeah. MacArthur Study Bible. Yep. Study Bible. Oh. I got this from a good friend, Benjamin Burlaga. Ben Burlaga. Big Ben, we call him. Big Ben. A student now at Moody Bible College. Yeah. Oh, Institute. Awesome. Moody, Moody Bible Institute. Uh, okay. <laughs> Institute College. Whatever. He's he's learning God's word. Yeah, in depth, and I can't wait to d- pick his brain when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Right. Awesome. In Chicago, we should go visit him. Yeah, he wants road us trip to Chicago. Awesome. All right. So let's see. So, the the brothers of Joseph who who th- who basically put him into slavery, sold him into slavery. Uh, they come to Egypt and they don't. They uh, realize after Joseph reveals himself that oh, this is our brother who we wronged, you know. So they start to fear that now that Joseph has power, they're gonna he's gonna kill him. And especially after uh, their father dies, they're like really vulnerable. So uh, starting. Uh, Chapter 50, verse 18. His brothers also came and fell down before him. They fell down before Joseph. Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph, being all these terrible things happening to Joseph, God meant it, not that he used it. You know, people will say God reacts to the evil in the world. He, he doesn't react to anything. He knows it's going to happen. So God knew he would send Joseph into slavery to, to what? Bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So he's saying here, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. What's the it? It's the evil. He didn't author the evil, but he meant the evil so that good may come of it. And I love, I saw uh, John Piper preaching on it, and he gets all passionate. He's like, God meant it, it, the evil, it, it. <laughs> like, have you ever seen John Piper preach? You know, like, he moves. The dude's like, yeah. it's probably how he stays so thin. He's <laughs> constantly moving. But that's it. God meant it, the evil. So we see his sovereignty in that. Again, do we fully comprehend that? Does that is that something we're ready to, like, like not rub against sometimes no but it's there and when you start seeing that there in in the word of god you start seeing it in the world right so you see evil happen 
you know God didn't offer it, but if it's just purposeless and he has to react to it, I don't think that's a strong view of God. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, he uses it. Not that he reacts to it, but it's for his purpose. And that, should, that brings me comfort. Like knowing that people who have cancer, and it's a terrible thing, and we should, we should research and, and pray that these people are cured, but God uses that cancer for his glory, and we may not see that fully right now. And I've had people pass away from cancer, my mom did. Uh, people in my family have it now. But I wish some of them could see, and again, pray to be cured, but also see the glory that's come from it now and that will come from it. Yeah. And uh, I, w- I want to say from, for a, a believer, uh, we believe this is God's word, his revelation, mm-hmm. um, and we can take out what he has revealed about his, his design. So in uh, Romans 5, it says that uh, we, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in our suffering. Uh, because this produces something. The suffering is producing uh, uh, endurance, and then you read it in um, chapter 5, Romans. Um, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if we, if we encounter uh, tough situations by God's decree, this is producing something. He has sent it for a reason. He and the reason is here is for our endurance to shape our character and it's and meaningful. It's not just uh, suffering for for the sake of suffering. He's doing something with that. He's building us. He's building our character. Now and that's. I'm sorry. That's very well said. And I think we need to. Uh, maybe contrast it with the world a little bit. And what I mean is that the idea of God's sovereignty is much more than an intellectual exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we, uh, you know, we're Reformed uh, Christians, um, known as Calvinists or what have you, but we hold to the sovereignty of God as the foundation of where everything else comes from. So your doctrine of God is going to feed into everything else. Um, But we need to be sensitive to that idea that, yes, you know, for a person who's not a believer, but maybe even a believer, who hasn't fully grasped the idea that God's sovereign over everything when they are sick, when their family member dies, um, how we share that, how we come alongside someone who has a hard time grabbing that this is God's will, that's something we need to be very careful with. Um, you know, sometimes you wield a sword where you need a precision needle. Um, and I think that's important. And another thing I thought that would fed into it, and I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts, is I know that as our foundation as Christians, right, the the guiding force is the living God. He's the Lord of history. He, whatever he ordains will come to pass. And his providence, he's governing all things, even down to the smallest molecule in the universe. As R.C. Sprout said, there's no maverick molecules in this universe. If there were, God would not be sovereign. Right. But then we're left with the world's options, and this is where I think my heart breaks, and I see it. I work in healthcare. I've had patients who, during the course of their treatment, were diagnosed with cancer. During the course of their treatment, their mother died. I've had to sit with them. I had to hear them share this. And there's this idea that man, luck is not on my side. 
or, you know, just bad luck of the draw, you know, or stuff happens, it's just random. But what we see in every worldview system, conscious or not, most people are not, is everyone has something ultimate in their system. Some people believe that luck, it's just, things just happen, chance. Others believe that uh, in an evolutionary worldview where things are just progressing, right, and just constantly evolving and adapting and everything is just a matter of survival of the fittest. Um, the Greeks had fate. New Age people view it differently, that, that the universe, uh, hmm. there's astrology, that um, the fault in our stars, so to speak, where we born in the right time, in our horoscope. So I have to say that everyone has a system. Everyone attributes something sovereign. But what we see today in our secular age is man. And we, we have this false belief that we're autonomous. Autonomous, a law unto ourselves. Man does not see God as sovereign because they, we see ourselves as sovereign. And I, I think that's kind of where one of the main battles are at today. It's human beings have placed themselves as God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you, you see that in, in the secular world, like you, you mentioned, the atheist, uh, you know, the materialist, the evolutionary. But that, that even works out in other false religions uh, to where that's some aspect of it is where we have a power over God. Right, we have this power to make God do, like he's a genie in a bottle almost. And you can see that in the false, like word faith movement, uh, or like uh, the charismatic movement where you just don't have enough faith for God to heal you type thing. It's not God's will for you to be sick, you hear. Like, well, then, you know, who's, it's my fault that I got sick and I have to have enough faith, and then when I have enough faith, God will heal me, heal me but that person, eventually didn't have enough faith so you know then you where there's all this guilt in that you know that's that is a sad teaching that, that goes around and disguises itself as Christian but it, it, it does come down to that bad faulty view of God's sovereignty because you can look throughout scripture where people weren't healed not everybody was healed and it doesn't say because they didn't have enough faith they just weren't healed you see uh, Paul writing to Timothy to, to take some water or take some wine, I forget the exact thing, but that he was sick, you know, that he didn't pray for God to heal him. You don't see that, at least in that passage. He probably did pray for that, but it apparently didn't happen. So was it God's will for him to be healed? So that, yeah, it gets into that his sovereignty isn't taught correctly to where it's understandable, to where it's overall and it, it does I believe have that secular worldview creeping in also to the church praying to the universe with the new age like I used to be into that before I was saved being in the fitness world it's all new age stuff and you, you read all these books like Think and Grow Rich and uh, listen to like Tony Robbins walking on hot coals like all this stuff and it's all the universe Oprah like <laughs> pray to the universe it, but it, yeah you're right it's flipped it's like we can like we have power over God, which that's no, not true. He is overall, and when we pray, we pray for His will to be done. You know, Jesus had that example of the Lord's Prayer: "Your will be done, Your kingdom come." So it's about His will, and then when our will aligns up with His, that's when we start to see it more. And that goes back to something you said before, uh, and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> 
but mark that right there. Mark that. Mark yep. that. Uh, Karen, when you're editing, cut that out. She'll keep, it, she'll keep it in now because I said that. This will be on the outtakes at the. Yeah. Always listen to the end of the episode because there's, sometimes there's something funny that, that we put on there, and that's when I listen to other podcasts that do that. I always look forward to the end, like Mortification of Spin. Recommended podcast. Not, I'm not just saying that because I met one of the hosts today at Kyle's church. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to get repped by them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, please put our podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just saying. We'll take donations. Just saying. Uh, so, you know, common questions that come up when we talk about God's sovereignty. Uh, are we all robots? Are we Are we just puppets? Is that, are we just, you know, he's already decreed it, so, you know... We, we kind of touched on responsibility before, but you would still get the response. Are we puppets? Are we robots? What would you guys say to that? Oh, yes, absolutely. This is the Matrix. Yes. And we're plugged in. Um, Red pill, yeah. blue pill. Yeah. <laughs> Neo. Morpheus. Well, I would say uh, that we're not puppets. We are not robots. Um, we have uh, freedom to choose. Um, but when it comes down to the idea of a free will. Um, I would say that the scriptures are pretty clear about the will of man and that we are enslaved to the sinful nature uh, before coming to Christ. It is Christ who sets the, the will of man free to be able to do that which is good. Uh, apart from Christ, we cannot do good because we are enslaved. Our will is not free. It is enslaved to the sinful nature. And that's the that's the biblical teaching, I would say. Um, so what, I guess the question would be then, what are our choices look like as not being Christians? What would you say to someone? You said we're free to choose, right? But we don't have free will. How would you like differentiate for a person? Maybe they wouldn't fully understand that. Um, so I would say that the Christian's ultimate goal would be to obey God's commands. So if you think about, you know, like the Ten Commandments, uh, apart from having the Spirit of God, uh, we cannot keep the laws of God, and we have no desire to do so, to please God. And so by having a, an enslaved will, that means we, we are enslaved to do evil, that which is evil in God's sight. And you see that in Scripture, you see that in Romans 3, uh, when Paul lays out, the condition of man, um, and if we can actually go to that, I'm actually in Romans right now. That's exactly where I was turning. So awesome. that's awesome. <laughs> so you see, Roman, um, you see Paul laying out this this idea, um, and he actually takes from from the Psalms, uh, from the Old Testament. So he says, um, "This is the nature before coming to Christ, before being born again," and he says, "None is righteous, no, not one." No one understands, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And it keeps going, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths, paths are ruin and misery. 
the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this is a, I would say that this is the, the description of a, a fallen man who is apart from Christ, who's, who has not been saved, who has not been born again. Um, they do not see God uh, according, you know, and then we can talk about who, who we were, like, that was me. That was me before I, the Lord saved me. I was not seeking God. I wasn't trying to do good. And, and then being born again, like you can do that because you've given, been given the power to do so. Right. So before we're born again, we're in the flesh, right? right. The Bible would describe us as in the flesh, like you said, enslaved to sin. Uh, none are righteous, no, not one. And then in Romans 8, Paul explains this a little more, verse 7 in Romans 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So that's, again, before regeneration, before we're born again, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. And then here it is, indeed it cannot. So mindset on the flesh, before, before uh, being born again, regeneration, cannot obey God's law. There are, it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So no matter what we do in the flesh, cannot please God. So even the coming to God has to be, we have to be regenerated, right? So, because that would please God. If we're in the flesh and we come to God, but it says we cannot. It's the text that says it. I'm not saying it. Right. <laughs> it's the Bible. It right. says we cannot please God because our mind is set on the flesh. We're enslaved to sin. That's our natural state. We are born haters of God. And that works its way out in different degrees for everyone. Right, so not everyone is outrightly saying that, but we are saying that because we are enslaved to sin until regeneration. Uh, and what you're saying before about obeying God's law, people apart from the Spirit of God attempt to do that. So you know, outwardly trying to obey the Ten Commandments because there's false religions that teach that, so they believe that and they earn their way. But they don't love God's law, so they're doing it. I believe like selfish ambition almost to earn their way to heaven to say they're better than somebody else or you know again believing being deceived but even now as regenerate Christians we strive to obey the law knowing that we're going to not do it perfectly but we love God's law now right not perfectly but we wouldn't have done that before we might have been trying to earn your way like the, what you know Roman Catholic theology is, yes, grace, but also merit. So people, I think more often than not, work on the merit part. And so they're earning, trying to earn. But they, it's like right here, like if we continue into Romans 8, the beauty of what God has done, like, but Kyle? <laughs> no, I, I would say at least come back to that original question, are we robots? Right. Because I feel like we're segueing into the, the, yeah. the salvation part of it. Right. Rightfully so. But no, we're, uh, absolutely we're not. And, and what I would say is though, human uh, responsibility and freedom, and yes, we have freedom, mm -hmm. um, does not outweigh God's sovereignty. Meaning, you, in, in God's sphere of sovereignty, which is everything, one of those aspects is human freedom. It's a delegated freedom. Uh, we're made as image bearers of God, which means we have aspects, communicable aspects, like God. Um, but, you know, we're rational creatures. Um, God plans. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and we, we mimic God in that regard. We plan, we make choices. Uh, we're rational creatures. 
And the scripture teaches that we're going to be accountable. Uh, everyone's going to sit before the, the judgment room, right, uh, with Christ, um, and give an account for every deed they've ever done, even every careless word. If you were a robot, and God is just, he would not hold that against you. Now, with that said, there are certain scenarios that lessen human responsibility. I know that's not where we're on right now, but we need to keep that in mind, too. Um, there's people with specific mental retardation. There's people that were forced to act through coercion and other things where that was not their will. Mm -hmm. But needless to say, oh, we absolutely make choices. But like Joey was saying, we we choose what we desire, right? It's not right. the fallen nature of man. is you freely choose what you desire. But what you desire is only um, the things apart from God, right? You, you desire whatever you want. Your strongest desire is what you choose. That is the nature of the will. Um, but I think free will has gotten such a, a redefinition. If, if you mean free will in the sense of you make choices, I think everyone would sign off on it. But if you say my will is free apart from any restraining power, which is this idea of the libertarian free will, mm -hmm. then absolutely not. The scriptures give nothing to support that. and In fact, actually are completely against it when you take the Bible in whole. Right. Um, you are not free from God. You are not free from your human nature when you make choices. They're heavily influenced. What's the uh, example? I think either Dr. James White or, or uh, maybe Jeff Durbin use it where the, like the vulture if you, if you put like you know what they usually eat like they usually chew on dead carcasses. Dead stuff. Yeah. And, or you put like a bowl of like whatever they usually don't eat by nature, like fruit or something. Mm. I'm not a scientist, so don't quote me on this analogy. But they're not going to choose what by nature they wouldn't, so they'll go to the carcass, they'll mm. go to the, the dead thing. So unless they are changed, their nature is changed, they're not gonna choose what their nature wouldn't already choose. And that's the nature of salvation, right. is we're not gonna choose what we wouldn't usually choose until our nature has changed, so now we have a new nature. We are a new creation. So let me see if I understand your analogy. Okay. If the vulture had a carcass mm -hmm. and a bowl of fruit as options, right? Because his nature is to choose that which is dead, mainly you know, a dead bird, dead fox, dead whatever may be on the floor or whatever. He would naturally choose the dead thing. Right. He wouldn't go for the bowl. Fruit. Right. In order to do that, you would need a new nature. You have to be rewired or redesigned mm -hmm. to want something different than he normally would. Yeah. And so what you're saying, in, in, in salvation, that's what happens to us. Yeah. We receive a new nature. We become new creation. Mm -hmm. Right. We have new desires in Christ. Yeah. Awesome. And those desires will continue to work their way out, but initially. So you're changed in an instant, but it's still, and again, this is another topic, sanctification. Yeah. Being made in the image of Christ, which is, goes back to, it's all, it all is cohesive, because God's sovereignty and the things that happen to us that we might outwardly look as evil or as, you know, like disease, cancer, catastrophes, is to build the character, and what's that character to build in us? It's to become conformed into the image of his son. So it's working that out, and it's all for his ultimate glory, to reflect the image that we were supposed to reflect before the fall. 
right? We're made in his image and his likeness. That image gets marred. But right away, you know, God already had a plan. It wasn't like he reacted to it. Right. It was always the plan to send his son to die for sinners who put their trust in him. We can't put our trust in him until that regenerating, life-giving work has happened. And then we are then, basically the curse is reversed and then we gradually become made into the image of the son. So then we have two different camps primarily, which we know. Um, you have your Arminians and you have your Calvinists. And the Arminians are our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And we love them. And, and in fact, we've been edified by much of the work. Oh, yeah. Um, by them. I, I, um, I can think of some of the uh, books I've read that have been very encouraging and helpful. Um, but we definitely di differ on uh, soteriology. Yes. Um, That's the doctrine of salvation for the lay people. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens is, right, and of course we want to properly represent them. You know, we obviously have our in-house jabs, and that's fun and all, but yeah. they don't deny that we're born into sin. Right. Right? Right. They believe, yes, we are absolutely sinful, and they believe, apart from Christ and apart from the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. no man can be saved is a person right. alone. Yes. But we know the question comes in salvation, and, and people, you and I care about close friends. You know, how is it fair... So in one regard, how is it fair then if you believe that God only chooses some people unto salvation mm -hmm. and leaves all the others, in a sense, um, they don't get a chance, you could say, where they would say, listen, Christ died for all, and it's our job to accept that, that invitation, that gift. And we see there, there's, there's clearly a disconnect between us. We both believe salvation is from Christ through his grace alone, how that is applied ultimately or you could say who has the final say in salvation perhaps is where we disagree um and i think that's something we really need to flesh out because when we talk about the sovereignty of god absolutely sickness where's history going but when it comes to who did jesus die for this is when feathers start to get ruffled and not to mention it ruffled mine before i was a calvinist oh yeah well, it doesn't ruffle mine anymore, but every so often it's like, like uh, not that I disagree with you know, the five points, but there's some friction there, right? And, and I think that's healthy. Like, we should be like, I don't fully, again, I don't fully understand this. I know it's there. I know this is what the Bible teaches. But it's reassuring at the same time, right? So as three people who love sharing the gospel... It's assuring to know that his word does not come back void. That when we share the gospel, either they'll be convicted to, to repentance or convicted and flee, or it's a, a seed planted. Uh, but what, what is comforting is it's God who saves. And the means is the gospel, the preaching of, of the word. Uh, so... Yeah, and, and what you're alluding to before is that who did Jesus die for, right? So that's that's usually where people get hung up in the acrostic tulip, is the limited atonement part. Um, yeah. So I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Or I like definite atonement, right? So Christ died, and this atonement is definite that it will save who he died for. And, and that's where people get hung up, where, oh, he died for everyone, like basically threw a life raft out for everyone, it's out for us to climb in. But the picture that the scripture says is we're dead in our sin. Dead. So 
It's not yeah. that we're drowning and we're like, oh, there's a life preserver, I'm going to grab on. No, we're already dead. Yeah. We can't even see the life preserver. We're dead. Right. So it's, it's Christ diving into the bottom of the ocean to bring us out and then yeah. gives us life. Does miraculous CPR on us. <laughs> and now we can breathe. Now we can see. Where we didn't want to, we were dead. So dead you, in your trespasses. So you're saying, apart from God acting first, right. man cannot be saved. Right. And it's not, not even... But the act isn't, like... Because people will say, well, he acted. He, his son died on the cross. That's the action. Now turn and believe that. Which, yes, that's all true, too. But we can't turn until regeneration. And yeah, the, uh, the Armenians will say that, too or people who are fully Calvinist. But it's, it's monergistic. So the work, as opposed to synergism, where it's, it's two, like he does this, we do this. No, it's he does this, and that's it. Like, and then we're saved. Like, he does the saving for specific people who he knows, he foreknows. Again, it's just, he knows who he's gonna save, he knows his sheep, his sheep hear him. These are the words of Christ. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. They know my voice. And then he talks about goats. <laughs> so there's sheeps, sheep and goats. He never says the goats become sheep. Yeah. There's two. And that, that's hard. Even when I'm saying that, yeah. like I'm warring in my head, like, wait, no, yeah, no. But here's the bottom line. I don't know, you don't know who his sheep are. So preach the gospel to everybody, because that's the next thing. Oh, well, if he's already predetermined who he's going to save, then why should we preach the gospel? And there's the hyper-Calvinists that, that don't preach the gospel, or just sit around, us for no more kind of mentality. But no, we preach the gospel to everybody, knowing that his sheep hear his voice. So go to the world. What, what would you guys say? Because I know when I wrestled with it, when I was in my 20s, um, you know, the cliche, oh yeah, I'm a four point, I can sign off on the four points, so to speak. But there's the idea that it's not fair. And if, if we're honest with ourselves, though, right? Mm -hmm. Not characterize. Like you said, to struggle with it, the idea that, um, you know, both folks, Arminian and Calvinists alike, do not believe everyone's going to heaven. Right. How that comes about is different in each thought system, though. Mm -hmm. um, so what would you say to that person and say, you know, it, it's not fair that God would only choose some and not the others? Well, I'd have to go to a text, multiple texts, but the one that is usually used to defend this position would be Romans 9. Uh, hey, look, Romans 9, I got it right here. <laughs> uh, and again, this others interpret it differently, you know, but... Uh, let me see where to start. Um, in verse 6, I'll just start in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. For not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac your offspring shall be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted of the offspring. For this is the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also Rebekah had conceived children by one man, forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had, had done nothing either good or bad, 
in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of his works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And Paul, anticipating a reaction to this, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and hardens whomever he wills. And he anticipates an argument again. You will say then to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist God's will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what has been molded say to its molder? Why have I made you like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another of dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I'll just end there, because I'll just keep reading. But, but, but Paul answers these questions, and he, he anticipated them. Like, and, and I agree. I mean, mm -hmm. I think we would. But what do you say to the person that has trouble with the text itself? So now what they're doing is they're saying, listen, I, I know that's what the Bible says, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's fair. How, how okay. can God, right? You know, I know that says that in right, there, but right. it doesn't make sense to right. me. And, and so they would say, and, and this is kind of what the argument is, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, you know. Why did he, why did he hate Esau? But it should be, why did he love Jacob? And that's the answer. Is when people started thinking, saying fair. Right. What's fair is that we're all wiped out right now. That's just. That would be just. That would be just. That would be justice. That would be fair. It would be fair to destroy us all. But he chooses to save some. He and it's not like everybody's banging on the door to heaven. That's not the image. It's not. We're not all. We're dead in our sin. We, we're naturally haters of God. We don't want Him. But he chooses us. He chooses to save his, whom he predestined before the foundation of the world, not by anything that we have done. He's, he's pulling us into heaven. We're running into hell. I think it was John Sampson who uses this, this example. Is we're running straight into hell, and he's just pulling back people for, to keep as his own. No one's running into heaven, and he's not shutting the door in their face. That, that's not the picture. Right. And then if you continue to paint that picture for the person saying, oh, it's unfair, um, you know, if you paint the picture of how God has revealed himself to be holy, to be uh, righteous, to be just, and then you, you talk about the condition of man, uh, condition of man before salvation, um, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. Um, which means that everybody truly deserves the judgment, the righteous judgment of God. So that's the picture. That's fair. 
So, like Daryl said, the question should be, why does he love sinners? Why does he choose to save them? You know, that's what we should be one. Like that should make us wonder. Like, ah, like God saves sinners. Yeah. And maybe that's unfair. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you know, we we're at a vantage point on the ground, right? right so to speak, our our tiny finite minds. Um, but our Lord is in the heavens, and He does whatever He pleases. So we have God, who's holy, who's perfect, who does not have a tarnished vision like we do. Imagine, you know, I mean, Daryl and I are fathers, but his daughter's old enough to, to know what she does, right? Rue understands that her actions will bring certain consequences, and his magic, his little daughter, you know, slapped him in the face and was just utterly disrespectful to him and had no regard for what he said. We would be furious as parents, right? I mean, on an earthly level or in childhood. So, as God's children in a universal humanity sense, not in, um, not in saved, but just as God's creation, we're doing that every single day to God. How much more so then to stand in the lap of your own father and slap him across the face? Say, I want nothing to do with you. I hate your ways. I hate you. Um, we're guilty. We're guilty as charged. Um, and that very idea that, well, if he only chooses some, then then what can what can we do? But that picture of, right, like, you know, Jesus is not slamming the door at people who are saying, Jesus, I'm running to you. I'm coming to you. I need salvation. My Savior. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, A.W. Pink wrote a book a very long time ago. And the sovereignty of God said it pretty interesting, right? So we, we're kind of saying that the sinner does not have an ability to come on his own mm-hmm. because of his depraved nature. We're, we're totally depraved. Right. And with that comes this moral inability. Um, that means that we have an ethical enmity with God. We hate him, so we will not come to him. But he says here, now let it be clearly understood that when we speak of the sinner's inability, we do not mean that if men desire to come to Christ, that they let the necessary power to come to their own right. desire. Right. No, the fact is that the sinner's inability or absence of power is itself due to a lack of willingness to come to Christ. And this lack of willingness is the fruit of a depraved heart. Yes, exactly. And, and I think that gets misrepresented. You know, Calvinism, our, our view of reformed soteriology, salvation gets like you know you're saying you know what people wanted to come they can't come I'm like no aw pink said it perfectly there it's that nobody their will doesn't want to until you're made willing you're granted repentance and isn't that though such a story of the gospel though like how can you sing amazing grace and not see the just absolute sovereign work of God. Right. I was lost, I was found. I was blind, I was see. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I now can see. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus is taking dead men and women and bringing them to life. And how much more glory does that bring to God to say, mm-hmm. I didn't do anything. I was so lost. I was stumbling in darkness. Mm-hmm. And Christ came and showed me mercy, showed me my sin, and 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 not offered, but applied 
forgiveness. And I was a rebel. And I saw how I lived my life. That's amazing grace right there. That brings the most glory to God. That brings glory to God. And I think that's where you see when people are zealous for the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Right. And that's, as we're talking here, this is what, what I'm, what's coming to my mind is why is this important? Is like, why? Because people do have a different view and people might listen to this. Not one might not understand what we're talking about, which is fine. Ask us questions, like email, however you can contact Karen and I, and I'll get these, these brothers the questions too. Uh, but people, you know, a lot of our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ don't agree with this view. And many might even say, like, why are you even bringing this up? Why, why discuss this? So I guess what are the practical, and we've touched on it, but I guess to kind of round it off, like, why do we feel it's important for us to even talk about this? Because I don't think we're looking for a debate on this. We're not. We're, it's not the point to, like, be like, look how brainy we are. We're, you know, and that's what, you know, the reform camp sometimes gets placed into that. Like, you guys just are overthinking things. You got to be you know, more spiritual and you're not so loving when you're talking about that. But, like, why are we, why are we talking about this? Like, why talk about the sovereignty of God, Calvinism, you know, why is it important? Uh, it's important to know who God is. This is, we're talking about the, the creator God who made us. Um, and he's revealed himself and to a believer, well, I would say from my experience, uh, learning about the sovereignty of God, his, his power to, to control all things, to, to, to keep his promises, that's comforting to me. Because I'm, I'm serving, I'm, I love and, and I worship this God. And I can trust him. He, he's, not a, he's not a fallible human being who messes up, who has no control over what he does. Um, who says one thing and then the next day says something different and does something different. So, so learning more about the sovereignty of God helps me to trust Him more, and and that's like a that's really comforting to know that He has that kind of power over my life to keep me, to protect me, to protect those around me, to protect the sheep. Um, and I think it it's a, it's just strength for the soul to to know. Who our God is, um, and His sovereignty, and His power. Yeah, absolutely, it has a huge effect on the way we live our lives, but not just a pragmatic way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. This is who God is, but also when you when you truly know who God is, how He reveals Himself in the Scriptures, you can live your life according to that light. So when I come, and why am I why am I at the job I'm in? My wife left me. My child died. This is real issues. This is real stuff, right? This is not light. And our hearts break even as Christians. How much more so for those that you know don't even believe in Christ? Mm -hmm. But knowing that there's a purpose in all things. Right. God is sovereign, and He is the Lord of history. And we as Christians have a view of history that's linear. Mm -hmm. There's a final consummation where Christ comes and makes all things right yes. and then all things new. And then his plan will be so much greater realized. Right. Uh, I mean, Paul fathomed at how he used the jealousy to draw more Jews in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, God works in ways that we cannot fathom. And we're creatures, right? So we, first of all, to bring any moral claim against God, we have no feet to stand on. But this goes at the heart, and I mentioned it earlier, of the idea that we're autonomous. We're not a law unto ourselves, and human beings are really bad gods. Um, you know, we can't even tell you what's going to happen a minute from now. You don't make your own heartbeat, right? So the idea that we control things is futile. Every breath we take is a testimony to God's sovereignty. Right. So why are we talking about it? It's because... God is sovereign. It's what the Word reveals about Him. There's practical implications for how I live my life. And spiritually, I believe it's damaging to belittle this doctrine or to elevate man's will mm -hmm. and to say that man has free will as if this is some type of thing that God can't touch. I mean, you almost hear people say it that way. No, no. God, your free will. God can't do that. And I'm like, God spoke you into being. You didn't ask permission to be created right, right. <laughs> right? So, um, there is so much beauty in this doctrine from our prayer to how we live our lives and personally when I'm challenged when being through very hard things that I don't understand but you know what my God is sovereign it doesn't mean I'm not scared it doesn't mean it's easy that you don't struggle with it mm -hmm. but you are able to push into that right that my God is sovereign, yes. and there's a reason why mm -hmm. yes. this is happening. Um, and you're right, and at the end of the day, it brings the glory to our King, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and I mm -hmm. think some people who, who might not agree, I mean, like you said, I believe all Christians believe God is sovereign. They'll say that. Uh, how they extend that in their explanation to all things, to salvation, might vary, but it doesn't sometimes they might be saying something that they don't really mean kind of like so so we we fleshed out calvinism as best we could in this short amount of time there's so much more deep into into it we could go into the whole acrostic but so sometimes you hear people who don't agree with it say things that are actually agreeing with it so it's so they they war with it too they i believe they just haven't accepted it yet uh but yet the, the sovereignty of god a God who can, has everything in his hand, he's controlling everything, bringing it to his destination. Like you right. said, his history, it's his story he's telling. We're a part of that. We, we aren't robots. We have a, a will. It's a creaturely will before we are saved, and now we have a redeemed will to follow him. He's still drawing us to himself. But within his sovereignty, that's where we can start to understand it's love, like more of these attributes you know we focus on this sovereign attribute right now but it connects to everything like you know his sovereign love of his creation of his people who he's redeeming his grace his mercy and we don't fully understand it but we can know it if that makes sense mm -hmm. but we're just searching and that's why I love the Bible it's, it's a relationship we continually go to it continually pray God, show me who you are, and show me in your word, and you'll see different things of what he wants to reveal of him. Like, and I always equate it to a relationship with a person. I've been married to Karen for 14 years. I hope that's right. She's going to listen to this when she edits it. <laughs> uh, but I, there's still stuff I don't know about her. Do I stop trying to know? 
no, I pursue that. I pursue that relationship so we can grow deeper with her. And now that we're both in Christ, it's even more beautiful because we're both seeking God together and trying to show our daughter how to seek God together and to try to understand these things of God because we won't fully know them on this side. We look through a glass dimly, but we will know and we'll be shocked probably that some of the things we were wrong about, but we're, we're going to be wanting to see Jesus. We're not going to, you know, like, we're going to be with who we're studying, who we're trying to know, not as an intellectual ascent thing, but we want to know him now. How much more beautiful is it going to be when we do know him? So that's awesome. I would ask, uh, maybe in closing, I don't know if there's like a recommended book you guys would have or a sermon or any idea to get people maybe started um, on this issue of the sovereignty of God? Well, A.W. A. Pink, who you just read from. And what's the name of that book? Sovereignty of God. A.W. <laughs> <laughs> Pink. Uh, what, what helped me uh, with the Reformed Soteriology, Calvinism, uh, Calvinism was uh, uh, Jeff Durbin had a series on it. You can probably find it on a, Apologia. Oh no, Siri just started. Siri's listening in. <laughs> yeah. Siri's contacting Apologia. I don't have their number though, but uh, yeah. Uh, but that's that's a good resource. Um, he explains it very well. Uh, Any RC RC Sproul, Ligonier Ministry. Check out that. Uh, and also, check out the arguments against. Uh, you know, we're all we're all for. Calvinism, mm -hmm. Reformed uh, theology, but also if you are already convinced of Calvinism, still see what the arguments are going to be against it, and just, it's good to study both sides, I think. We're not afraid. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Welcome. Yeah. You have any resource recommendations? The Bible. <laughs> yes! Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I How did I not say it's that? It's really clear in scripture. Uh, I have open right here the Ephesians Ephesians one. It says that um, the God um, let's see talking about salvation. So we have obtained an inheritance, have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So I think there's even more passages that that just makes it pretty clear right. that that God is sovereign. He has a plan and He's working it out and all over. I know, you're absolutely right. There's, I mean, there's, on this topic, literally feeds into everything from the rise and fall of nations mm -hmm. to our current political climate to who's in office to law. I mean, you name it. Um, it's inescapable, but obviously time does not permit, but we could talk about this for days. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. So, with that, I think we'll wrap up and, uh, I hope that everybody out there learned something today. I know I did. Uh, Me too. There's there's no uh, musical solos, but we could actually go jamming. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm just gonna end with this one verse here. Again, with Romans, we're in Romans a lot today. But if you haven't read Romans, read it, then read it again, then read it again, then read it again. It's so awesome. Romans 11 verse 36. For from him and through him. And to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. This has been another edition of What Are We Even Doing Here? We hope you continue 
to seek the kingdom of God, to find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. Karen, when you're editing, cut that out.